Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. It's uh, my pleasure to welcome our guest for this podcast, Dr. Eric Lagasse. Dr. Lagasse is a, an associate professor in the Department of Pathology at the University of Pittsburgh, and he's also director of the Cancer Stem Cell Center, which is a joint venture between the University of Pittsburgh uh, Cancer Institute and the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Lagasse, it's a pleasure to have you on Regenerative Medicine Today. Well, thank you, John. I, I understand that your uh, interests are in, in stem cells uh, and perhaps both good and bad stem cells. I, I know that you have an interest in liver and uh, can you basically give us a brief overview of your research program and uh, what the uh, interesting highlights are? Yes, of course. So we are interested in stem cells. We are interested to find stem cells and to use stem cells. Um, you can see stem cells or vision stem cell as basically sort of two sides of stem cell. There is a good side and there is a bad side. The good side is that with stem cells you can use them and uh, you can use them for regenerative medicine. And what we're interested in, in to do with stem cells is actually use them for uh, liver disease and liver therapy. Uh, liver is an interesting organ because it can uh, regenerate. And uh, we know that if we transplant cells, we are capable of regenerating a whole liver in, for example, a mouse model. And we know in human also that if you transplant cells, cells will migrate eventually and liver cells will migrate eventually in the liver and you may have some regeneration to occur. So what we're trying to do here is actually to isolate liver stem cells and eventually use liver stem cells for cell therapy. The other side of stem cells, uh, sort of the evil side, is uh, the stem cells uh, may be implicated in cancer. Uh, what we know uh, with cancer is that uh, if you look at the tumor, a tumor is uh, very heterogeneous, contains a lot of different types of cells. And uh, some of these cells uh, actually initiate the tumor, generate the tumors, while other cells uh, would not, the tumor cells would not. And uh, the cells which initiate the, the tumors, uh, we call them cancer stem cells. And there is some speculation uh, that these cancer stem cells actually come from the normal stem cells, that eventually uh, through mutation and uh, mutation, they eventually um, generate abnormal uh, stem cell population which end up to be cancerous stem cells. So very interesting. You, uh, you start with uh, stem cells and they can either do good or at least your hypothesis is they can uh, do harm as well. Yes. So we have uh, two areas to explore uh, today. Uh, let's uh, begin with the, with the good cells and the, uh, this idea that uh, you're pursuing to, uh, to treat uh, diseased or damaged liver with, uh, with uh, good uh, stem cells. Uh, how, how does one go about that? So we are very interested, first, we are very interested by the, the liver for a, a very specific reason, is that we know that uh, liver is an organ uh, uh, which can regenerate. We know, for example, uh, if you take a rodent, like a mouse or a rat, you can remove two-thirds of the liver of these animals, and in around a week, 
the remaining uh, uh, liver lobe that, that is left in the animal will grow back to the size uh, of the liver. We know also that if a patient has, let's say, a cancer, uh, a tumor in its liver, um, uh, what we can do is, uh, what surgeon can do is actually remove the tumors. And we know in this patient also that after six weeks uh, to, a, to several months, uh, the remaining uh, liver will actually regenerate back uh, to this original size. So we know really that the liver can regenerate. Uh, what we do not know really is what would be the best cells uh, which would do the job, basically the regeneration. And we hypothesized that the liver stem cell would be a great cells to regenerate the liver. So basically what we're doing at the moment is isolating different population of cells in the liver and particularly looking for liver stem cells and transplant these cells in an animal model which recapitulate what you see uh, in human in terms of liver disease and basically originating the liver in this animal model. This uh, idea, this uh, concept or approach of, uh, of liver regeneration, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, actually used in, in, uh, in transplantation where you can have uh, live liver donation from a one patient a portion of a liver to another? Is that correct? Mm, yes, yes, partially yes, yes. What, what happened is um, in, in certain case, uh, uh, a, a piece of liver is actually transplanted in the patient. And this piece of liver will eventually originate to a full-size liver. So yes, uh, to that extent, it shows you again that the liver uh, can really regenerate. And presumably from what you said a moment ago, the, the, the the donor uh, patient, uh, his or her liver regenerates as well, Ex expands to yes, its normal size. Yes, yes, oh. yes. Now, the, what you have to see also in terms of the whole field of uh, uh, tissue regeneration, uh, this is a very good uh, example to start with because here we have an organ which already regenerates very well. Uh, so we have already a first step toward regeneration. What we need to have now is the other step, which is, for example, find the mechanism, what cells actually is, able, is capable of doing this. Is it a normal hepatocytes, for example, which is the, the main uh, uh, liver uh, cell present uh, in the liver? Or is it a much more progenitor cells, or if it's uh, the stem cell compartment which can do the job? But I think what we will learn uh, with uh, liver stem cell, progenitor cells, and even uh, mature hepatocytes in liver regeneration can be applied eventually to more difficult uh, tissue like the brain and, 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 and other uh, um, organ. So how, do, how does one go about uh, identifying different cells that you might find in the liver and uh, uh, then to, once you've identified cell A versus cell B, how you uh, decide whether A or B is the preferred uh, cell to use? So the first, the best example uh, to tell you how we isolate a different population of cells would be the bone marrow, which uh, a study has been done now in the past uh, 30 years on uh, identification of a subpopulation of cells in the bone marrow and eventually identification of the stem cells in the, in the bone marrow, the hematopoietic stem cells. 
And there we know now that the hematopoietic stem cell is really a fraction of the cells in the, in the bone marrow. Only probably 1 in 5,000 to 1 in 10,000 cells are actually the, the stem cells. And we know for the bone marrow that the stem cells are the only cells which self-renew and lineage commit to all the different lineages that you find in the blood in, in as mature cells. And you have probably 10 to 15 different types of cells being present. So how to isolate these cells? We have a machine called a flow cytometer. And uh, this flow cytometer is a, it's a beautiful machine uh, which allows you to identify uh, different cells which have been stained using antibodies. So you have antibodies with purochrome, and basically you have color green, red, blue, yellow, different type of colors. And we know that stem cells have a certain markers. Are we looking for liver at certain markers? But for hematopoietic stem cell, we know the different marker that the, 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 the stem cells bear. And let's say it's just red, blue, and green. So we'll have a combination of color that the flow cytometer can find. And out of 5,000 to 10,000 per second that will be seen through the flow cytometer, the flow cytometer can track the single cells which have the stem cell markers, and it can actually isolate them in a, in a tube. And that allows us to actually extract the hematopoietic stem cells or the potential liver stem cells out of a very complex um, population of cells. And by isolating the cells, then we can ask the question, what are the function of these cells compared to all the other cells? And is this function of the cells really essential, let's say, for regeneration, hematopoietic stem cell, hematopoietic cell regeneration of the blood system, for example, or liver regeneration? So that's the first step. Another step, of course, is having in vitro assay and in vivo assay, which can actually read out for stem cells. So it sounds very straightforward as you describe it here, but uh, I also know that it's a very complex set of experimental procedures to, to accomplish these uh, endeavors. Yes. Stem cell, to a certain extent, uh, if you look at the definition, it's, it's very simple. Uh, what is a stem cell? A stem cell is simply a cell which self-renew. Basically, it's immortal because when it divides, it gives rise to a cell which is exactly the same as the cell of origin before the division and at the same time can also differentiate into different lineages. So if you can find a cell, one cell, which can self-renew and can differentiate in all the lineages of the tissue it's derived from, so these are stem cells. So in terms of definition, it's quite simple. In terms of demonstrating that a cell is really a stem cell, that's very difficult. So one of the questions we get from listeners to this podcast is that, uh, you know, when will some of these technologies be uh, available to, uh, in, in a clinical sense? And I, I, I believe that while you've made some notable progress that uh, it might be safe to say this is uh, multiple years away from uh, clinical trials. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. Um, you have to see um, the technology as when you discover something, it's not only discovering, for example, the hematopoietic stem cell has been discovered 10 years ago. Uh, can you have a hematopoietic stem cell transplant today in a, in a hospital? It will probably be difficult. Why is it difficult? Well, it's difficult because to get from the cells into the patient, you need certain things to happen. 
So the first thing you need to happen is to actually characterize the cells, like the hematopoietic stem cells, as being an essential, essential cell for bone marrow transplant. And that has been done, has been patented, etc. You have even company working on this. So that, that worked well. And then the second step is actually generating a lot of these cells because you have a lot of patient. And you cannot take patient A, isolate cell from patient A, hematopoietic stem cells, and then transplant them back in patient B, for example. So this is not possible because it, it would cost too much money. And then you have rejection, you have all, 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 a lot of other issues. What you really need to have from the isolation of the cells is being capable of actually expanding the cells, expanding to millions and millions of cells, and in a sort of a cheap way that it would be, you can provide this to a lot of different people. And then you can generate bank of cells. And then eventually you can transplant the cells. But even the transplantation of cells is also uh, an area of research which is quite complex. Uh, because, again, the example, the good example would be the hematopoietic stem cells. You cannot isolate the hematopoietic stem cell and transplant directly into a patient. What you need is you need to prepare the patient. It's called um, uh, myeloablation. What, what it is, is basically you create an environment for, for the stem cell to actually engraft. And to allow the stem cell you will transplant in to have a selective advantage to actually seed into the body of the patient. And this is very important because you need to have this seeding efficiency to have, after that, an expansion and, and, and uh, uh, an engraftment which is substantial in the patient. So for the hematopoietic stem cell, it's very important. We know for the liver also, it's very important. In the liver, we know that like with hematopoietic stem cells, we can also engraft the cells in animal model and regenerate the whole liver of this animal. And so knowing that we can do this with a mouse, for example, we know we can probably do this with a patient. And now the next step is to find a um, protocol which would allow the engraftment to be very, very efficient, that we can really transplant cells and knowing that most of the cell we transplant will not only circulate uh, in the body of the patient, but actually will find a way into the liver and will actually engraft the liver and start the regeneration, uh, regenerative process. So you've done this in an animal model which reaffirms the uh, proof of concept and as you move forward we'll look f uh, with interest to uh, how this can ultimately be used in a clinical sense. Uh, let's uh, move from the good stem cells to the bad stem cells. You uh, told us a few moments ago that uh, there was this uh, idea of some stem cells could turn into uh, cancer stem cells and, and uh, then be the source of uh, cancer. Uh, can you elaborate a bit on that, please? Yes. So what we know so far is that if you look at, let's say, let's talk about a patient tumor genome. When, when, a, when a tumor grows, if you isolate the cells of this, uh, the tumor cells, what people have found is that uh, there is uh, a certain heterogeneity in the cells, that not every tumor cell is exactly the same as, as another cells. And um, what people have found is that only a fraction, actually, of the tumor cells in the tumor are capable of seeding uh, or generating a tumor in, let's say, an animal model. So if you take human cells, human tumor cells from a patient, 
and you transplant these cells into, let's say, an animal model, for example, only a fraction of the cells are capable of generating a tumor. And there is basically two models uh, which would explain why that happened. There is what we call the stochastic model, which is basically what people have thought for a long time, and, and in part is right, that in the tumor, uh, you have mutation occurring randomly. And that eventually, if you get the right set of uh, mutation, you generate a tumor, and the tumor grows. Um, there is another model, which we call the hierarchy model. And in the hierarchy model, uh, you ha basically have a cells, which we call the cancer stem cells, which is a fraction of the tumors. And all the tumor cells descend from these cancer stem cells. As with the normal stem cells, the cancer stem cell would be the mother of all tumor cells in a tumor of, in a patient. And they would represent only a fraction of the tumors. So basically, you have these two models. They, they, if you look 10,000 miles on both model, basically, you have only in every model heterogeneity in the tumors and only a fraction of the cells capable of generating a tumor. How can you distinguish model, the, the um, stochastic model for the hierarchy model? The simple um, way of, of distinguish both of them would be to actually isolate tumor cells. And let, let, let's take the hypothetical example that you can isolate the tumor cell into two populations. In the stochastic model, population A and B would basically stochastically be capable of generating, again, uh, a tumor to a certain extent. Because stochastically, even if you isolate population B, which are not generating a tumor right now, with the time and the division, stochastically, they will regenerate again a tumor because it's a stochastic event. In the hierarchy model, you can actually prospectively isolate the cell which can initiate the tumors versus the cell which cannot initiate the tumors. And the cell which cannot, cannot, basically. And so people have, have done such experiment in now different tissue, like the brain, like the colon, like the breast, and basically show that there is a hierarchy model in cancer, meaning that if you have the right, if you know the right set of marker to isolate the cancer stem cell, you can actually find the subpopulation of cells which would initiate the cancer versus the other population of cells which would not. That said, we have worked on metastatic colon cancer, uh, and we have found that, yes, you can see cancer stem cells being present in metastatic colon cancer. But we also found out that this, the stochastic model is also right, meaning that in the cancer stem cell population, you have still mutation occurring. You have something called genomic instability, which basically induces a, a stochastic mutation occurring in this pool of cells, and that eventually you modify this pool of cells genetically, and eventually you may create cancer which metastase in, in, different, in, in different tissue. So it's, it's quite complex. You basically started with two different models and at least in our research, we end up with a combined model, which 
in, in our view, would explain why cancer is so complex, because you end up to have the best vehicle, which would be the stem cells, because I didn't tell you, but we found out that the cancer stem cells are probably the cancerous, uh, cancerous stem cells, basically a stem cell which accumulate all the mutation and end, end up to be cancerous. And on the top of it, you have what you call genomic instability to create the, the, the stochastic model, so uh, in which we call it the best engine. So you have the best vehicle, a stem cell end up to be cancer stem cells, and you have the best engine with genomic instability uh, on the top of it. And now you create this formidable uh, cell, which is a stem cell able to differentiate in a lot of different type of cells, and at the same time, genetically, can modify really, really, really fast, depending on the environment and depending on the chem chemotherapy that are applied to the patient. And our view, is what you see uh, with cancer, cancer and now cancer, ca cancer stem cell, cancer stem cells is very similar to a certain extent to what you see with bacteria and antibiotics. With bacteria and antibiotics, we know that as you apply antibiotics uh, to a bacteria, uh, a bacteria population, uh, if you apply for a long time the antibiotics, you kill all the bacteria. Now, if you apply just for a short amount of time, you actually uh, generate bacteria which eventually would resist uh, to the antibiotics. Probably if you go wave after wave of antibiotics, of the same antibiotics, just for a short period of time. Why is that happening? Is because the population of bacteria is actually genetically not homogeneous. It's slightly heterogeneous. The, 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 the bacteria can divide really, really fast. They, they're not 100% exactly the same genome. As you go with the, with the antibiotics, you select for the bacteria which have a certain mutation which allows them to resist slightly to the antibiotics. And as you go by wave and wave and wave of antibiotics, you end up at the end uh, to a population which is actually fully resistant to antibiotics. Now, if you flip the coin and you go now with cancer, and as I told you, the cancer stem cells, basically, and the genomic instability on the top of it, Basically, the same thing happened with the patient where, and, and, the, and the, the cancer of the patient because as you go with uh, uh, chemotherapy, you actually select a pressure on the cancer stem cell population uh, to actually uh, uh, select for the, the cells which would actually resist to the, uh, to the chemotherapy. The other problem with the chemotherapy is that it is toxic to a certain extent to your normal stem cells. So you cannot, the, the, you cannot increase the chemotherapy to a certain point because you may kill the patient, wiping out all the normal stem cells. And so you, you create these waves of chemotherapy to the patient, which if you're not able to kill the tumor cells, create the same thing which happened with the bacteria and the resistance. You generate eventually a cancerous stem cells which would be resist, resistant to chemotherapy and will eventually kill the patient. But I think it's, if I understand what you just described to us, that you have, you could, you would likely have a completely different strategy for chemotherapy if you were attacking the, the cancer stem cell as opposed to a can attacking the yes. tumor. Yes. So if if we look the the approach there, the first thing it would be to isolate the cancer stem cells. Then 
demonstrate if it's a cancerous stem cell coming from the stem cell compartment or maybe from other type of cell. And that the, this kind of study is already ongoing in different laboratories and people have shown so far that cancer stem cell may not always come from the stem cell compartment. It may come also from other compartments through the differentiation. And, but the, the population is basically people are isolating the population of, of cancer stem cells uh, uh, today and try to determine what cells they are. Then the next step will be to define exactly what make a cell a cancer cells, a cancer stem cells. And then the next step is, of course, trying to find new th therapies, new therapeutic approach, which would specifically kill the cancer stem cells. So this is, uh, this is very exciting, but uh, gather that, again that this is uh, you know, a basic research stage and it's um, uh, perhaps multiple years before clinical trials in this area? Yes and no, uh, because what happened now in the cancer field is something interesting. Cancer biology and the stem cell biology and developmental biology has fused together. I mean, the people who worked the beginning only in cancer are now interested to learn more about stem cells and to learn more about uh, development. And, and the people who work in development and stem cells are interested by cancer. And th there are a lot of different pathways, very important pathways for stem cells, for differentiation and so on, that are important for cancer and that we realize are important for cancer. So I, I think that opened doors to a, a, a vast... Uh, area of research and and a lot of interesting uh, uh, findings and I wouldn't be surprised that let's say in the next five to ten years we may see anti-cancer therapy totally different from what we saw it uh, before because the, the the approach of cancer uh, anti-cancer therapy so far is quite brutal and is is really hitting as hard as you can the cancer. Try to be specific, but it's not very specific. Uh, it's hurting a lot of the patient. And I think as we understand more and more the biology behind cancer, we'll be capable of targeting really population, the, the, the most uh, difficult population in cancer and try to wipe out really the seeds, basically the seeds which will generate uh, the tumor and the cancer. Well, Dr. Lagasse, it's uh, certainly been a pleasure to uh, hear your exciting adventures into both uh, the application of stem cells for regenerative purposes and also the identification of uh, stem cells that uh, seem to be a significant contributor to uh, various types of cancers. Appreciate you joining us today. We will put a, uh, a link on our podcast site to your, uh, your webpage if uh, any of our listeners have an interest in further exploring uh, some of these exciting uh, areas. I'd like to remind our listeners that we're not in a position to diagnose uh, medical problems uh, via the Internet. Uh, I would like to uh, thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, which sponsors these podcasts. And until we meet again in several weeks with another exciting interview, uh, best wishes to all our listeners. Thank you. Thank you.